talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter. All right. Here we are again. I want to start the show off a little differently this week because I want to thank you. I want to thank everyone out there listening and everybody that looks for the show. Uh, this is Kurt Bavakwa, and we're talking about Dirty Kurt's Dugout. So all the people that have joined me on The Pine, especially recently, because the show's getting popular, I got to tell you. Uh, it's certainly not me, so it must be my guests. We've got a couple of more good ones for you this week in Episode 6 of Season 2. As a matter of fact, coincidentally, Tim McLeod, who will be on in a, a short while, joined us last year for Episode 6 of Season 1. So we've got him one year later. And then I've got a guy that, it's a quiz. I got a quiz for you because this guy is left out. As far as I'm concerned, if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't be a real happy camper. And I'll tell you why. Tell me who's the first player that comes to your mind when you think about historical records, career-wise, offensively. And naturally, everybody's going to say Tony Gwynn. And then if you say, okay, name me a couple of more players. Who are you going to say? Well, you're going to say... Gary Templeton, Dave Winfield, maybe Ken Caminetti. I guarantee if we put a poll out with 100 people, unless you really get great baseball minds that know good players when they see them and know good players when they came through town, you're not going to have one person talk about the next guy that's going to be on the show, and that's Gene Richards, one of my former teammates and a guy that is in eight, count him, eight offensive categories still in the top ten of the San Diego Padres. And you hardly hear anything about him. And I'm going to voice my opinion on it. I'm going to ask Gene about it. But, Gene, welcome to the dugout. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Craig. How are you? It's an honor. I'm I'm doing fine, thank you very much. So, you know, I've thought about this a lot because, uh, for one thing, I think you need to be in the Padres Hall of Fame. Um, well, I know, <laughs> I know how soft spoken you are, and you know what? I really relate to the fact that that's might that might be the reason that a lot of people don't know. What's going on when it comes to Gene Richards and what you did when you were here for the period of time you were here and really how fast you left? That's the part that blew me away because I was there. And I know kind of the situation, but I, I want to talk to you about that. But from what I understand, you're living up in Reno, and what are you doing right now? I'm here in Reno. I'm, I'm working with some kids, uh, trying to uh, help them fulfill a dream. And uh, we're having a lot of fun at it. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think this may, may, may be my true calling, to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't think that, that would be, be something that I would say. But uh, I am truly uh, happy with, with myself and what I'm doing. 
Well, you stayed in baseball a long time. I mean, you're really still in it, but you were in different organizations when you retired as a player, uh, mostly uh, as a coach for bunting, base running, uh, and outfield play. Uh, yes. If, uh-huh. if you had to be, if you had to be a coach in the big leagues right now for bunting and base running, you wouldn't have anything to do. Uh, I, I would quit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you see the game, the way that it's changed, yeah, uh, in the way that I go back to watching you the first year that I was here in San Diego, and and as far up on the bat as you used to choke up, and I used to be amazed. I mean, I really did. There, there. You're going to hear some things out of my mouth today that you've never heard me say because you, you impressed me so much when I first came to San Diego on the way you went about your business and everything that you did. And you know what? I, I don't even think I was mature enough at that time to realize how good it really was. You know, it's it's when you go through life and you realize what you had and what you were looking at before you really. Uh, you really know what you just saw and you don't, you just take it for granted when it's there. So, you know, when you were here, I mean, you broke into the game with a bang. I mean, let's face it. Sure. You were a number one draft choice. I mean, there's not too many people that can say that, but you led the California league in hitting the first year uh, games played uh, runs, stolen bases, and the batting in your batting average, you hit 381 your first year in the California League. You know, I remember stepping on the field my first year in A ball, and it was I, I looked around and I went, "Wow, this is going to be hard." It it doesn't seem like it was that hard for you. I mean, how did you do that? Well, Kirk, when I when I uh, was drafted and everything, I always had a goal. I said I wanted to make it to the major leagues in, in less than three years. And at that time, that was almost an impossible thing. But uh, I was able to – I pushed myself, and uh, I was lucky enough to uh, avoid major injuries at that time. And uh, I just played with a, with, a, with a chip on my shoulder, and that was to get someplace that uh, I thought I deserved to be. Well, as, as a teammate, you certainly didn't look like you had a chip on your shoulder. And I think that's just <laughs> the phrase that you use because you played hard. I mean, you, you, the way you hit was amazing. You'd spray the ball all over the park, and then all of a sudden, boom, you'd hit a ball at the ballpark. And it would kind of surprise everybody because you just didn't look like the prototypical home run hitter, but yet you had that pop in your bat every once in a while. When you did that, was it something that just happened? Or were you sitting on a certain pitch, a certain count, in a hitter's count, and turned on the ball. Is that were you looking for it? Well, I, you know, when I when I came up as a, as a young player, I could hit home runs. I remember in uh, spring training one year when we had Frank Howard, and uh, uh, that was Dave Winfield and George Hendrick. All those guys were hitting home runs in, in Yuma, Arizona. And I said, "Okay, guys, I'm going to show you what I can do." And I started doing the same thing, and Frank stopped BP, and uh, he just said, "Genie, we don't pay you to hit home runs." So start hitting line drives and stuff again. So uh, I've always been able to to drive the ball, um, and uh, I, if you hit the ball hard, eventually, if you hit one just right, uh, it, it will go. 
Gene Richards, my guest on this episode of Dirty Kurtz Dugout. I appreciate everybody tuning in, and I, I certainly appreciate uh, Gene coming on with us. Um, l- let's go back to 1983, uh, and I know that's far from the beginning of your career, but I want to ask you about your the injury that you had because I remember vaguely you getting hurt, but I don't remember it being – a serious injury. Was it something yeah, that it was, you, was it serious? Was it something that you didn't, we didn't talk about? And I shouldn't say we, that you didn't talk about that much because you wanted to get back into the lineup. What was the situation? It was my, my ACL. I was, I think it was the second game of the, of that season against the Dodgers. And uh, Steve Diego tried to pick me off at second. And I went back in and my knee uh, went the wrong, turned the wrong way. And uh, it ended up being, was, they called it a partial tear of my ACL, but uh, eventually it snapped. And uh, uh, in all honesty, I shouldn't have come back when I did. I should have just sat out the entire season, but I, I came back uh, too soon, and, and it never was the same. So, I mean, in all reality, that was a career-ending injury. Yes, it was because I was I always wanted to play at certain certain levels, and if I wasn't able to do that, I always wanted to be able to be man enough to just get out uh, before I was forced out. Well, when you look into history and records in the Padres media guide, uh, the thing that jumps out at you, well, it shouldn't, but the thing that jumps out at you is Tony Gwynn's at the top of almost every offensive category. But as I said in the onset of the show, uh, the thing that's most surprising is that you, you left San Diego after the 83 season and went and played for the San Francisco Giants uh, for a short year. And mm-hmm. even all this time that has gone by, you are still in eight out of 12 offensive categories. Does that surprise you? Uh, yes, it does. Uh, I, it, again, with, with all the time that has passed, that, that record that me in those sta- me still in those standings or uh, rankings uh, still exist. Uh, that was a little bit of, su- of a surprise. Well, I I got to tell you, I I don't think it's going to change. <laughs> I I really don't. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's something good or bad. <laughs> well, stolen bases certainly isn't going to change. Sure, you might go from second to fourth in the next twenty five years, but you're mm-hmm. certainly not going to drop off of that. Because you're right behind Tony there and in front of Alan Wiggins, which I would think that if you asked anyone that was a Padre fan, who leads the team career-wise in stolen bases? The first person that everybody would think of was Alan. But he really wasn't around long enough to do it. Right. And, and that was a sad situation. But when it comes to at-bats and triples and base hits and batting average, you're just going to be there. You're going to be in the top ten. So, I got to ask you this. Go ahead. Are you teaching kids to choke up? No, I'm teaching kids to be themselves. I I feel that uh, that's one of the things that I always talk with them about. I said, hey, I don't want you to be Gene Richards. I want you to be yourself. And I want to make adjustments according to what you do and your strengths are. And uh, I just just don't feel that uh, anybody, anyone, should force someone to be the way that they used to do it or what have you. Um, be themselves. And, again, I'm, 
I think I'm intelligent or smart enough to make adjustments. And if I can't do that, then I'll find someone else that can give me some answers and uh, help these kids uh, along the way. What what bothers you the most, if there's anything, uh, the way the game is played today opposed to the way it was played when we played? Well, the game today, again, it has changed. The, the, the speed factor uh, has basically been eliminated. And the Red Sox were the only team that, uh, that I've seen in, in Houston that played the way that we used to play uh, in, in all. Uh, right now, uh, I always look at the Dodgers. I always say they were going to lose because they, they're one-dimensional. They, they either hit a home run or they're going to strike out. No one was, was moving runners. No one was doing quality quality at bats with two strikes and stuff, making two-strike approaches and stuff. And all that stuff is very, very important to, I think, the diehard baseball fan, the uh, the ones that really have a good feel for what's going on. And, again, the, the game has changed, uh, and but it also evolves. So I'm hoping that uh, any day now the game is going to come back to the way it used to be. Uh, which, which, in my opinion, was a little bit more exciting. Um, you saw more quality, quality players, and they weren't so one-dimensional. Well, that's the opinion of uh, quite a few people. Unfortunately, uh, it's not the opinion of a lot of people that are in front offices nowadays <laughs> in the big leagues. But, but I so think true. you're right. I think you're right. I think we're going to see it kind of evolve. I think it's going to come back around because – all the analytics and the sabermetrics are good, but I got to mm-hmm. tell you something. Who was the first analytics guy that you can remember? I want to see if we come up with the same person. He used to sit in a dugout with his book. Oh, uh, Whitey? That's exactly right. <laughs> That's exactly right. I tell you oh, what, yeah. there is an outstanding documentary on MLB Network right now about Alex Cora. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is outstanding. I've watched it three or four times, and I still get goosebumps when I watch it because he is such a great individual. And what he did last year with the Boston Red Sox was phenomenal. And the way he was hired and just his entire career and how loving and great his family is and how caring they are. Uh, and for him to do what he did last year was quite impressive. But in order for him to, and the Red Sox, to go out and win 118 games, his players had to buy in to what he believed in. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that he believed in was them carrying around a card in their pocket on where to play. You know, you get superstars. You get super. I mean, can you imagine if Roger Craig would have went up to you and said, hey, Gino. I want you to carry this card in your pocket. Whitey's done this chart, and we think this is where the guys are going to hit the ball. Right. You, know, you, you probably would have carried it, but you would have looked at him funny. Well, <laughs> you know, the, but the, the thing about a lot of that is that at that time when we were playing, we were into where guys hit hit balls, and also you could have that sheet of, uh, because we we paid attention to what was going on. We knew what what guys uh, hit balls most of the time. And uh, I, I thought that, uh, again, having a chart like that is great, but uh, also having a, a mindset that you're into what guys do uh, in, in all in, in games. That's a big asset also, as opposed to just, well, I'm just going to be in, in one spot. And it kills me when I see uh, a field in which you have a spot that everyone stands in. 
<laughs> those things just really baffle me. <laughs> I tell you what baffles me. It baffles me when the third baseman is in deep a uh, shortstop, and the guy at the home plate <laughs> isn't going to bunt. That right. that's what baffles me, and, and, yes, and that's the one thing that I bring. I, I don't want this ball club to have any part of Manny Machado. And when I say this ball club, I'm talking about the San Diego Padres, Correct. because mm-hmm. as good as talent as he is, in my opinion, I don't want him on my club. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it, and I'll leave it at that. But I tell you what, when he bunted with two strikes and a three-two count on him last year in the World Series, he yeah. really showed me something. I was I, I really appreciated it too. I was thrilled and and all, but again, once that happened, then the, all the other stuff. And uh, uh, Preston Gomez told me a, a while back when he was alive, he said, "Gene, uh, Leverett does not change his spots, and for some reason, this kid reverted back to his old ways, and uh, that's what we see too much uh, in today's game. Some guys may want to make a transition, but then something will force them to go back into." Uh, a, a bad habit, and uh, those are the things that uh, I don't think is good for be- good for the game. Well, I always wondered uh, what the Padres were thinking of, what Dick Williams and Jack McKeon were thinking of. I mean, I I kind of know looking back at it because it was Kevin McReynolds, Carmelo Martinez was a young player coming up that had some pop in his bat. You got hurt. They mixed. The, they put him into the mix, but I didn't realize that your knee was that serious when it was hurt. I knew that you hurt it, but my vision was having you and Wiggy at the top of the lineup. And if Tony would have hit behind both you guys, oh, my God, can you even think of what would have happened? Yes. You know, I, I, I talked with Tony um, before his death, and I always I was, I told him that I, I was, wish I could have been around uh, playing with him a little longer because I think we could have really pushed one another. Uh, and, and everything because I, again, one of my um, things about the game is I always felt that I should have won a batting title, and um, I think that I could have accomplished that if I had uh, had someone to, to, in my opinion, push me maybe a little bit more, uh, giving giving me more incentive uh, and stuff. And but again, that was largely because of me uh, and everything because I didn't push myself as much as I should have in uh, uh, I feel. Well, in case you're wondering who we're talking to, it's Gene Richards, a longtime Padre player uh, that doesn't get his just due, as as I've said for quite a while now. I mean, Gino, and I didn't even realize this until I looked into your stats, uh, you were actually in the MVP voting in 1980. I mean, that's yeah, pretty uh-huh. impressive. That, that uh, you know, that just goes to show you a good all-around player. A lot of people talked about uh, – the li- if the, if Gene had a liability, it was defensively. I'm going to tell you something. This guy led the National League in assist for two years. You're not a defensive liability if you can do that. And he certainly wasn't a defensive liability. He certain, her certainly was a great teammate. And when it comes to great teammates, Gene, who was your favorite teammate on the Padres? Uh, George Hendrick. Uh I felt that George really helped me out a great deal. He uh, taught me about the game, uh, showed me how to act uh, and all, and uh, respect and stuff like that. Uh, um, he understood my personality, and he allowed me to to talk with him and, and again, teach uh, in a way 
that I could understand it and appreciate it. So I'll always have, uh, tip my hat off to George Hendrick. And I know a lot of people don't like him. They thought, you know, think, think bad of him, especially in front offices. But he's one of, one, was one of the greatest athletes or uh, teammates that I've ever been around. I tell you what, George Hendricks could hit. George yeah. Hendricks could play. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not like easy? Yeah, that's right. That's I mean, right. really. That it, I, I, I can see where he had a little rough edge to him. But all you had to do was go down and talk to him for 15 minutes. That's right. That's yeah. all it took. I, yeah. I thought that uh, when we first got together, I thought that that outfield, George, Hendrick, myself, and Dave Winfield, I thought that we could have been one of the best outfields in the major leagues. But, uh, again, the party was going through a lot of changes, and George only was with us, I think, one year, a little over one year. And we just we, we, we lost a good little, we lost a good player, and we and we lost we went back as far as the organization was concerned. Uh, the way I felt. Did you have a favorite manager? Oh, favorite manager was always John McNamara, and he was my first manager. I thought uh, I thought his personality and mind worked well together. Um, he was somewhat soft spoken, but he would also let me know how he felt about certain things and. Uh, he treated me with a, with a great deal of respect, and I, I, I really like that. I, I, I really appreciate it, John May. I want to ask you something because uh, I've never asked anybody about a specific manager before, but what what were your thoughts on Dick Williams? Did he bug you, or were you okay with him? Uh, I thought Dick Williams was a good manager from a competitive standpoint. I didn't play well for Dick. Um, uh, I didn't, his style was different from, from me. I was a soft-spoken, quiet guy, and he was more, a little, little more abrasive. And I didn't, I couldn't relate to that. I had a hard time with it. And, um, you know, and, but, but he was able to accomplish a great deal with his players uh, and everything. It's just too bad that uh, I couldn't play with him when I was healthy. I think you hit the nail on the head with Dick. I you I look back now and I think he he's definitely the best manager I ever played for. Mm-hmm. Did I love him all the time? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, there were times where I couldn't stand him because he <laughs> was because he was abrasive, and it yeah. wasn't just at me; it was at other people also. Yeah. I tell you what, do you? Um, yeah, you were here. I don't know if you realize – I was literally standing next to Dick Williams when he told Norm Sherry that if Chris Welsh throws the first one more time, he's gone. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember that? I, I remember that, and I also remember he um, got it Juan Eichelberger for not throwing at a guy and stuff. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that, was, um, that, was, that was him and that was his style. And, uh, you know, some people could, could handle it well and some, some, you know, some couldn't. And that's just that's the nature of it. Well, folks, when we say out of here, I'm I, I'm literal in the sense of out of here because the next day, Chris Welsh was traded from the San Diego <laughs> Padres. Dick Williams called Jack McKeon and said, "I want him out of here," and he was literally <laughs> gone the next day. So yeah. that's what out of here means. <laughs> and that's what happens when you don't have a no-trade clause. Matter of fact, Chris Welsh is going to be a guest on my ne- next episode of Dirty Kurtz Dugout. 
Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, we will we will talk about that. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey Gene, good. continued success with uh with your business in Reno. Uh it's been uh it's been a pleasure and I certainly appreciate your time, my friend. Uh and it was good looking back on on one hell of a career here in San Diego. Thanks a million, Chris, for having me. You got it. And I I look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Gino. Folks, I'm telling you, that guy. He, believe, he belongs in the Padres Hall of Fame. He really does. I mean, he's in the top 10 in games, batting average, hits, triples, at-bats, runs scored, walks, and stolen bases. All behind the great, late, great Tony Gwynn. There's a couple of other guys that are in front of him and a couple of the, you know, Gary Templeton's got a few more hits. So does Winfield. Gene Richards was a hell of a player. I wish you guys would have gotten an opportunity to see him play. And you know what? I didn't appreciate it at the time. I didn't appreciate where you hit in the batting order being so, so important to potentially have put success on your side. But any guy that hit behind Gene Richards in the batting order had one up on the pitcher because you're always, always concerned about this guy stealing bases. Yeah. And what are you going to get? What's What number is the catcher going to put down when he gives a sign to the pitcher if he thinks the guy on first base is going to steal? He's certainly not going to call a curveball low and away. He wants to throw the runner out. So he's going to throw the hitter a fastball. Yeah, that's right. Tony Gwynn, if he was alive today, he would tell you and he would credit Alan Wiggins for helping out Mr. G for being successful at the plate his first couple of years because Alan Wiggs was always hitting in front of him and even only he only hit 260 career-wise, he was always a threat to steal when he got on base. I mean, he stole 70 bases one year. That's a lot of bases especially for a guy to hit 260. Well, we can talk about guys and their stats because that's the way the next deal works. Tim McLeod's co-hosted a popular fantasy baseball live podcast, prospect361.com, and he was on episode six last year. I didn't even know that until everything was put together for this show. Tim, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me back on again, Kurt. No, uh, it's definitely my pleasure. my pleasure. So I, I got to ask you right from the top. There were some experts fantasy league that was put together. And the draft results created a lot of buzz on social media. And tell me about how that happened and what part you took in it. Well, uh, I think you're talking about the uh, labor draft that occurred last Tuesday. Does that sound about right? Correct, Kurt? yes. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting affair. It pretty well got the uh, fantasy baseball season off and rolling, and uh, I'm very, very fortunate that uh, Steve Gardner from USA Today has included me in the festivities. Uh, it was a fun evening. So you you made a pick, and you drafted Walker Bueller, who – to be perfectly honest with you, I don't blame you. 
But you said he's going to be the Dodgers' top starter, not Clayton yeah, Kershaw. Yeah, I, I think there's a new ace in Dodger land this year, Kurt. I, I really do. And, you know, I, Kershaw's still, still dealing with that damaged disc in his back. And do discs get any better over time? Uh, he hasn't taken the surgery route. So um, I'm all in on Walker Bueller, and I think he's got the potential and the skills this year to surpass Kershaw in that rotation, as blasphemous as that may sound. Mike Trout went first in the draft, and you had the second pick in all of baseball. And tell everyone who you took. Uh, Mookie Betts. And if there was a category for strikes and spares, I would have moved him up past road, Kurt. (laughs) But we don't count bowling stats in this one. (laughs) Yeah, Betts is a phenomenal player. He he gives you everything. He gives you power. He gives you speed. He scores runs. And last year, I think his batting average was somewhere in the range of 347. Just an outstanding player. So let's talk a minute about the potential of – not just being in a pool, but the gambling aspect of fantasy baseball. Sim- very similar to the way it is with fantasy football. Do you see that really growing now that Major League Baseball has formed a partnership with MGM Grant? Um, I uh, The game of baseball is a very long, drawn-out game. You've got a 162-game schedule. And the whole thought process, I believe, that goes into picking winners, picking losers, picking good players is a lot more complicated than it is for football. Uh, At least that's my opinion, Kurt. So I don't think baseball will generate much steam in that direction. I I think it's niches there, and the people that wish to gamble on baseball will continue to do so, but I don't see it exploding in any way, no. Really? I, I, yeah. I pictured I don't know why I when I heard about that announcement I I pictured uh, betting booths at the ballparks mm. I, I don't know why I just didn't <laughs> I mean you know it's going to happen I mean why else would Major League Baseball partner with a casino well, Hey there's got to be money in it for them that that's that's the reason we know that right Major League Baseball doesn't do anything unless there's some money involved right That's for sure that's for sure. Tim McLeod, my guest. This is Kurt Bavacqua on Dirty Kurt's Dugout. Tim is uh, getting some splinters with me today, and I certainly appreciate that. Um, somebody's putting together a fantasy team right now, Tim? Yes. Who do you stay away from? Who do I stay away from? Uh, I've been shying away from Jose Altuve, Kurt. Uh, Ooh. I, uh, yeah, he, you know, the, the little guy's got some fantastic skills. There's no doubt about it. But last year we saw a dip in the power. Now, granted, he was hurt with the knee injury, but I'm sort of of the mindset looking forward. Uh, does Houston want him running rampant on the bases? Uh, I'm saying no. They, they've got a lineup and a team that's geared for the playoffs, and I honestly believe they're, they're going to be a little bit cautious when it comes to how they utilize uh, Altuve and his speed. They want him around for October, okay? They don't care if he steals 20 bases or 40 bases in the regular season. They want him healthy for the playoffs. So uh, I, I'm i downshifting a bit on Jose Altuve this year. Well, we saw who won the World Series the last couple of years, and they were guys that play 
a little bit of old school baseball. And I yeah. I agree with you 100 percent about the stolen bases, and you have. To, but I think he needs to pick his spots and get mm. stolen bases because naturally, your power comes from your legs, and you're right. right. You're right about the the minor injury that he had, but I think it did affect his power at the plate. I think we're going to see that come back a little bit this year. I'm really surprised to hear uh, that you shying away from a guy like Altuve when he's such a great player. But hey. You got to have your reasons. Is there anybody else, or is there anybody that is well down everybody's list that kind of stands out as far as you're concerned as a player to grab? As a player to grab a little bit later on, um, I spent a lot of time looking at the Japanese and Korean leagues, and there's a there's a kid that the Arizona Diamondbacks signed, thirty year old uh, Merrill Kelly. Yeah, he, he left uh, the Tampa Bay organization and spent three years in Korea. When he left, his fastball was 88-90. Now it's 93-94, and he can run it up uh, as high as 96. Nobody's looking at this kid, but, you know, last year we saw Miles Michaelis uh, come back from Japan and was very successful. So Merrill Kelly is one player I like. I like Kristen Stewart, an outfielder in Detroit. Uh, kid's got massive power. Uh, a lot of miss in the swing and miss game, but uh, he could hit a lot of home runs in Detroit this year, Kurt. With all the analytics and all the numbers that there are to put together and the different ideas that they are, there are in this day and age in the game and all the moves that are being made by teams and what's going on in the game, you set your sights on Asia. When did that come about? Um, I've been following the Asian game since, oh, probably about 2004, 2005, Kurt. Uh, again, I, I saw an opportunity. At that point in time, there weren't that many people uh, scouting Asian baseball uh, in North America. And uh, I just saw it as an opportunity and a nice place to carve a little niche in the game. And uh, I enjoy it. I, I really do. I, I like seeing these kids come over, uh, playing in North America, and Hey, you know what? If, if I can scout the odd guy that eventually becomes an asset to fantasy team owners, uh, pure bonus. You can hear Tim on prospect361.com. Fantasy baseball. Uh, it's getting big, folks. You got to take a look at it. And I think that's a good podcast and a good area to go if you want to hear expert analysis like you just heard with Tim. Thank you, uh, Tim. Thank you so much for. Uh, for coming on the show. Did you know you were on One Year Apart, Episode 6 of each year? <laughs> uh, but we've got a trend that's developed. Yeah, we do. Time. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to be the first one that comes to my mind. I, I mean, I hope you're on before, but you're going to be the first one that comes to my mind when we reach Episode 6 next year. Well, you know what, Gert? I, I want to thank you very much for the opportunity to talk a little bit about the game and talk some baseball with you. And you know, I'll be I'll be incredibly disappointed if you don't pencil me in for episode six in 2020, my hey, friend. Hey, it's done already. I've got it written down. It's a done deal. Uh, okay, Kurt, again, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk some ball, and uh, you have yourself a great 2019. Thank you, Tim. But don't look for Tatis to show up in a Padre uniform until at least three weeks into the season. Oh, that's a guarantee. You won't see Vladdy Jr. there until that's exactly that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. I appreciate it, Tim. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Talk soon, Kurt.
Tim McLeod. I tell you what, if there's a guy that knows about fantasy baseball and knows about players that are coming up and who to draft onto a team, that's the guy. you got to listen to him on prospect361.com. Uh, the only place to get Gene Richards is right here on Dirty Kurtz Dugout. It's certainly the only place to get me. Uh, I appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. Go to patreon.com slash Kurt Bavacqua. If you want to become a member, help us bring this fine programming uh, to you. Uh, we appreciate everybody's input. We actually implemented a social media comment on what a listener thought we should do. So keep them coming. Go to Dirty Kurtz Dugout. Go to at the Bavacqua Show on Twitter. Uh, you can find us if you look out there, and if you have any comments on the show, I don't want to hear any bad comments. You know, I, I still have an ego, even though I haven't played for a while. Ooh, I, I can handle the, <laughs> I can handle the good ones. Ooh, <laughs> yep, there we go. So again, Kurt Bavacqua here with you. We'll see you on episode seven soon. Goodbye, everybody. Talking baseball, the man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron.